Hi, I'm Lynn. And I'm Jan. Welcome to the Lamplighters Podcast. Lamplighters is a community that encourages women to grow in our faith through the study of God's Word. We are grateful to be on the journey with you this year as we travel through the Bible, following the stories of some of the women who've impacted our faith. Last week with Meredith Weatherby, we studied Elizabeth and Mary through the lens of encouragement, which was a different way of looking at the two women. This week, we're going to delve into some women who aren't even named in Scripture. Mm -hmm. So there's a bit of a mystery about each one. But what I love the most about this lesson is that even though they don't have names, it is clear that Jesus sees every single one of them. Yes, it is clear. And we do have three great stories this week. Each one of them has several important characters. Now, because our time is so limited, I won't go into great detail with each story, but I hope our listeners will because there are really good lessons in each one. Mm -hmm. So I want to begin first with the sinful woman. How does this encounter happen? Well, we find Jesus in the home of a Pharisee named Simon. And if you remember, the Pharisees were the largest and most important religious group of Israel around in Jesus's time. And they weren't, they didn't think very highly of Jesus. In <laughs> fact, they, many of them opposed him because he refused to accept their interpretations of the law. <laughs> so we can only speculate why Jesus was actually invited to this dinner. You know, maybe it was to boost Simon's reputation, or maybe Simon thought it would be entertaining or that he could somehow trap Jesus in in a debate. Yeah, I bet it was the latter. Yeah. Well, we don't know what his motivation was. But what is obvious is that he did not respect Jesus because he did not receive him into his home with the basic etiquette that you gave honorable guests. Hmm. In Jesus's day, three rituals were common. There was a kiss of greeting, washing of the feet, and anointing with oil. Simon offered none of these. So we enter the picture and Jesus and Simon are reclined at the table to enjoy their meal. Now, we we need to picture this because it's not the way we picture people eating at all anymore. It's a very low table and you're actually lying on the floor. So... um, This was a Greek custom, but the Jews adopted it whenever they were in one of these banquets. Mm -hmm. Um, So Jesus lay supported on his left arm with his head facing the table. And so his legs and his feet were basically back behind him, pointing back to where the attendants were. Then we had the entrance of the sinful woman. Clearly, she was not an invited guest, but it was a Jewish custom that when a rabbi was invited, all class of people could enter the house to listen to the rabbi's teaching. So somewhere along along the line, she had heard about Jesus. However, it still must have been difficult for her to come into the house of a Pharisee because they considered themselves and often were considered by others to be so far above, sort Mm. of holier than thou, more pure. And (laughs) this woman, though unnamed, was known publicly to be a sinner, which translates most likely to prostitute. Yes. So I'm sure there was a lot of finger pointing and, you know, saying, what is she doing here? Look at her. But she came in anyway. And she approached Jesus from behind, which is very important because it meant that this woman did not look Jesus in the face. She took the part of a servant whose job it was to wash the feet of the guests and prepare the ointments. 
This shows her humility and her deep sorrow for her sin. She stood behind him weeping and washing her feet, his feet, with her tears. And then she used her hair as a towel to dry his feet. Now, back then, a woman's hair was her crowning glory. Mm. And here she was using it to wipe the dust from Jesus's feet. And then she was kissing his feet and topped it all off with very expensive perfume poured over them in an anointing. You know, can you imagine the shock of that? It's crazy. I mean, a a prostitute Mm -hmm. entering the house of a Pharisee who clearly judged and condemned her. Mm -hmm. And then that quote-unquote sinful woman had the audacity to perform the functions of hospitality, which Simon had intentionally withheld from Jesus, Mm -hmm. as if she were a member of Simon's household. Yeah. Um, I I can imagine that Simon and the other guests, who were also probably Pharisees, Mm -hmm. uh, were infuriated and appalled and embarrassed and convicted Mm -hmm. and all those other things. You know, what courage Mm -hmm. or desperation that woman had to enter that house and to subject herself to that. Likely both. Yeah. Courageous and desperate. Yeah. So Simon um, was, like you said, probably offended by the respect (laughs) this woman paid Jesus. And he said to himself, this is Simon, not realizing that Jesus knew what he was thinking. He could read his thoughts. If this man was truly a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. She's a Gentile. She's a woman of ill repute. No one like this should even approach a prophet. Now, it seems like he thought Jesus should be just as proud and just as haughty as he was. So can you imagine his reaction if this woman had chosen to approach him rather than Jesus? Well, in effect, she did. Because by honoring Jesus, Simon felt like she was dishonoring him in his own home at his own table. Yeah, it's like insult to injury. Yeah, adding insult to injury, exactly. So Jesus knew what Simon was thinking, but instead of rebuking him, he drew him in with a story. It's a parable, really. It's a parable of two debtors, one who represents the sinful woman and one who represents the Pharisee. The story that Jesus tells is about a debt collector who forgives the debt of two people, one who owed little, again, that would be Simon, and one who owed a lot, that would be the unnamed woman. Neither of the debtors were able to repay their debt, so the debt collector forgave both debts. From his point of view, Simon feels morally superior and therefore the debtor who owes less. The prostitute knows that she owes a huge debt. But the important point that Jesus is making here is that neither one of them could pay their debt. So what difference did it make if one was smaller than the other? Mm -hmm. The important thing is the awareness of sin as a debt that needed to be forgiven. So the point of the story, of course, is that those who are aware of their need have a great appreciation for the forgiveness that they have received. They have a humility that comes with an appropriate sense of their own sinfulness. But those who are blinded by their pride are unaware of how much they need forgiveness. So they don't have that proper appreciation for it. The woman, who is supposedly the worst sinner, has acted more graciously than Simon, who is supposedly a righteous man. Jesus then announces that her sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. 
it's important to understand here that she was not forgiven because of her works, because Jesus then added, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So once again, this recurring thing that we've had, we see that the the most important factor is the heart, which Jesus sees. Um, The sinful woman was aware of her sin and her great need and her desire to be forgiven. And she knew that forgiveness would come from Jesus, not from the Pharisee. So she came to him humbly and with great love. And her faith led her to the one who could give her what she needed. Yeah, the only one. Absolutely. Yeah. Her faith led her to offer the maximum expression of repentance, gratitude, and love for Jesus. I mean, these are extravagant acts that she demonstrated. And it was proof that her heart had been changed by her experience of the grace and forgiveness of God. Mm. You know, it takes humility for us to see our need for forgiveness. And God honors humility. The boldness that she had to enter and honor Jesus in this way indicates that she was very aware of that great need. Also, she accepted the forgiveness she was offered and didn't want the past, her past, her sinful past, to determine her future. She accepted this new life that Jesus offered her. Yes, um, the sinful woman did want to be Jesus's servant, and she risked ridicule and condemnation to uh, do so. I, it, it, it has always bothered me, though, a little bit that she's still known as the sinful woman yeah. because she was forgiven. But anyway, uh, my, one of my favorite aspects of this whole story is that the woman approached Jesus from behind. Mm-hmm. And she was so humble, she didn't even want to seek a face-to-face direct encounter. And we see the same thing in the next story. Though the woman had been bleeding for 12 years was unclean, and she shouldn't have been in public, much less in a crowd. But she was so desperate that she was willing to take the risk um, in order to be helped, right? And so she, too, approached Jesus from behind, hoping to remain anonymous, right? Mm-hmm. She sort of snuck up on him while he was busy and on his way to do a very important work for a very important person. Yeah. So this this just reminded me that sometimes it's easier to approach Jesus from behind. And I have to say that I've done it uh, in times when I'm feeling guilty or angry or hiding in fear, you know, my head down, reaching out, you know, sort of, don't look at me, Jesus, don't look at me, don't look at me, just let me touch the hem of your robe. But do I think really that Jesus Mm. doesn't see me? That's so silly. He sees everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, this story is actually two stories. Yeah, it is. And it's interesting because it has two miracles that are sort of interwoven with each other. It's the raising of Jairus's daughter back to life and the cure of the woman who had an issue of blood. That's what they call it, an issue of blood. Mm -hmm. So it starts with Jairus. And Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue, and he came to Jesus to ask him to heal his dying daughter. Now, even though Jairus was a powerful ruler himself, we see that he fell down at Jesus's feet, signaling Jesus to be a ruler above him. So Jesus says yes, and they start walking to his house. Now, As he's walking and there's a big crowd, lots of pushing and shoving and jostling, Mm -hmm. this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years moves through the crowd to touch his cloak, firmly believing that she would be healed. So I want to talk about this woman. First of all, 12 years of bleeding meant that she had been unclean for 12 years. 
That meant that she was unable to be a part of everyday society. She could not be touched by another person or they too would become unclean. So she was a real pariah. Imagine the desperation and loneliness she felt. Just like the woman in our first story, it took boldness to move through the crowd, but her faith bolstered her into action. And she was healed just as she believed she would be. But that's not how the story ends. We are told that Jesus feels power going out of him, and he wants to know who touched him. Here is this woman who basically was trying to steal the healing power of Jesus without getting caught, and she gets caught. Now, she saw that she could not hide, and so she came forward, but she came forward trembling and fell down before Jesus and confessed what she had done. What she had done. She declared before all the people that she had touched him because she believed that a touch would cure her, and it did. So the question that I wonder about that often gets asked is, did Jesus really not know who touched him? The mm. important part is I don't think that matters. I don't think we have to know the answer to that. What matters is why he called out to this woman. She could not hide from him, just like we cannot hide from him. And that should encourage us to go ahead and unburden ourselves, pour our hearts out to him, and show him all of our sins and our problems. The woman came trembling, and yet her faith saved her. And this public pronouncement he made of her healing meant that everyone there also knew that she was healed and no longer unclean. That is such a beautiful and loving act. Her faith was strong because Jesus's forgiveness and mercy and love are stronger. And by doing all of this publicly, Jesus restored her to society. She was healed not only physically, but also relationally and mm -hmm. socially. She could now go about the business of life, and she could worship in the temple mm -hmm. because of Jesus. She was fully restored to life. I mean, that is a witness to God's grace and mercy. And yeah. we even know this story because she kept telling it. Yeah. You know, she lives on in our book of the Bible, right. and as we are studying her this week, mm -hmm. because she continued to tell this story with some odd details. Yeah. I mean, I particularly like the one about her spending all the money on doctors. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you remember that Dr. Luke, yes. who was writing yeah. this, was a physician, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's the same with our stories, Lynn. Mm -hmm. You know, we tell them, even those odd details, and the Holy Spirit uses them to reach others and to give God the glory. It's a way of reaching out. Yeah, that's why it's so story. important. Yeah, exactly. we have to. All right, well, let's get back to that other miracle of Jairus' daughter. So while Jesus is dealing with the bleeding woman, Jairus is told not to bother Jesus, don't bother bring him because the daughter has died. Well, Jesus says, no, we're going anyway. And so Jairus is like, well, okay. Now, maybe having just witnessed a miracle, Jairus's faith had grown too. And even though people were telling him his daughter was dead, Jesus was saying, let's go. So they go. And we get there. And as the story goes, Jesus tells the crowd that she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And he goes in and raises her from the dead. Now, I've skimmed over a lot of the story. Um, so please dig deeper on your own. Because what I want to focus on here is this unnamed girl. She doesn't do anything, yet she is the recipient of a new life. 
really all we know is that she's 12 years old and she was sick. But Jesus used this girl to a point to a power that these people could not fully grasp yet. And this story applies to all who die in Christ. We shouldn't be sad as people who have no hope because believing in the resurrection power of Jesus means that death really is like sleep. Not only because it is a rest from all the problems of this life, but also because there will be a resurrection, a waking and a rising again to all the glories of eternity. You know, it's just occurred to me, Lynn, that all of these stories are resurrection stories in one way or another. Mm-hmm. They, they all point to the ultimate resurrection of Christ. And let's look at the aspects of each woman and her need because they parallel our own needs and our stories. The first one needed forgiveness. Mm-hmm. The second one needed healing mm-hmm. from her uncleanness, her sin nature, and new life. Yeah. And lastly, they they all needed to be set free like right. the little girl. You know, right. give her something to eat and let her live. That's right. That's right. All right. So now we're down to our final unnamed woman of the day, and that is the adulterous woman. Now, this woman had committed adultery, as her name says. There was not any question about whether or not she was guilty. She had been caught in the act, and she never pleaded innocence. So among the Jews, adultery was considered the worst possible sin a person could commit, and the punishment was being stoned to death. The scribes and the Pharisees are literally dragging this woman to Jesus, hoping to set a trap for him. They wanted to catch Jesus between the law of Moses and the law of Rome. Okay, Rome, which ruled the land, had forbidden the Israelites to perform executions. They could pass a sentence of capital punishment upon a criminal, in this case, the adulteress, but they were not permitted to actually carry out the execution. Rome reserved that power for itself. If Jesus set the woman free, however, he violated the law of Moses. So if he had her stoned, he could not be claimed, he could not claim he was the one who forgives sins. Do you see how oh, twisted yeah. this is? They think they've caught yeah, him. Yeah, they think they've caught him. This is a test to see mm-hmm. what Jesus would do. But as usual, Jesus sees things differently. This is a case of adultery versus self-righteousness. And both of these are sins. The Pharisees and the scribes are too focused on the sins of the woman to see any sins in themselves. That is until Jesus surprises them all. He bends down and he writes on the ground. The people badger him about the problem and trying to get him to say something. So he finally stands up and he says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Then he bends down and starts writing again. I really wish I knew what he was writing. Nobody (laughs) knows. Nobody knows. There's all kinds of speculation. We're not even going to go down that road. I know, I know. When Jesus said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her, Jesus gave a powerful answer. It was powerful in the first place because this was also the law. The law said that adulterers and adulteresses had to be stoned, but the law also required two witnesses and said that the witnesses had to throw the first stone. So Jesus is saying to these scribes and Pharisees, all right, you caught her in the act. The witnesses are among you. And this is what the law says. You're the witness. Go ahead, throw the first stone. But 
ask yourself first, (laughs) are you without sin? And if you say yes, then you can cast the first stone. Isn't it interesting how whenever we find fault with others, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we don't see it in ourselves. We need that self-reflection. It's easier to be more severe in our judgment of other people than it is in ourselves. Of course. So one by one, we see that they walk away and Jesus is left standing there alone with the woman. And this is the heart of the story. Jesus asks her, woman, where is everyone gone? Has no one condemned you? Now, she doesn't say anything in answer about the other people. She's not triumphant in their retreat. In her true penitence, she gave an account of herself and did not think it was her place to give an account of the other people. So she answered the question which concerned her. Has no man condemned you? And she says, no man, Lord. She speaks respectfully to Christ, calling him Lord. But there is something hesitant about what she says, something that's wondering, something that's unsure, something that conveys that infinite question in her own soul. And I think at this point, she's unsure if she's forgivable. It's like she wants to say, you are Lord, but are you my Lord? Can I say it? What about you? That's what I have to know. Are you accusing me of this? Who are you, Lord? And the answer he gives is, woman, neither do I accuse thee. Go and sin no more. These are amazing stories. Yeah. Even those these women are not named in Scripture. Mm-hmm. God sees them and God knows them. Um, he looks at them. He touches them or yeah. he lets them touch him. Yeah. He knows their hearts. He gives them names, and I find this interesting, all but the first one. Mm -hmm. He calls them daughter, Mm -hmm. my child, woman, which is a title of respect Mm -hmm. um, in ancient times. And he restores them both to himself and to other people. And I think there are times in our lives when we've all felt invisible or unimportant or excluded or unjustly judged or used or discarded or powerless, any of those things. And if you've ever felt that in your life, what I want you to do this week is to imagine approaching Jesus from behind and watch him turn to look you in the eye saying, my daughter, I am so glad you are here. What do you need? And I will give it to you. Yeah, that's a beautiful picture. Mm. So we had these three really different women today. Um, Each one of them showed, showed boldness and faith in their own way because they knew that their sins had been or would be forgiven. The question that I have is, think about this, is there any part of you that is clinging to a sin or sins that you have already been forgiven of because of shame or embarrassment? What will it take for you to have the faith to believe that Jesus has freed you from those forgiven sins? That's a good thing to ponder this week. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, next week we're going to take a look at two women of influence, one for the good and one for evil. Until next time.